Hi, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. I'm your host, editor Madhuri Christian. I'm joined again today by my friend and colleague, Edward Ned Russell, who reports on airlines for us. In today's episode, we take a look at the reaction and the blowback Delta is facing from its response to Georgia's new election law. Southwest has a massive new order for for 737 maxes. North Atlantic managed to score some aircraft. And Americans is pulling its jets out of mothballs. Why? That's what we're looking at this week. I hope you enjoy the episode. If you have any feedback, you can reach me at mu at skiff.com. You can reach Ned at er. That's er for Edward Russell at skiff.com. Check out our site, airlineweekly.com. A new issue drops every week, and we update the site throughout the week with news. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey there, Edward Ned Russell. How are you? Hey, Madhu. Doing well. Coming to us from Colorado today. Yes, it's snowy, wintry Colorado at the end of March. Well, it is uh, It is a perfect day here in San Francisco, about 70 degrees, blue skies, lovely. Oh, stop rubbing it in, Madhu. Stop rubbing it in. <laughs> I'll try, I'll try. But, you know, all Californians are smug. Uh, so we have a kind of a lot to get to today. Uh, I think the first thing we, wanted, we were going to look at is... Um, well, Delta's Delta's facing a lot of blowback, right? Delta is. They um if if you haven't heard, and I'd be surprised if you haven't, they they released a statement on Georgia's new voting law that, that was passed last week. Uh and uh, a lot of people were unhappy with that comment. That's right. Uh, and there's there's uh there's calls to boycott Delta, boycott Coca-Cola, boycott um Home Depot, all of which are companies based in Georgia, um, because none of those companies came out very forcefully um, against this new election law, which was actually signed into law, I believe, earlier this. Or you're right. It was last week. Um, now, for those of you who don't know, the election law um, was kind of in response to um, then President Trump's claims, baseless claims, the election had been stolen in Georgia. Um and the new law, its critics allege, makes it more difficult for voters of color primarily and um, uh, minorities to access the polls. And also has some provisions that allow the state legislature to take over county boards of elections and possibly nullify electoral results that they don't like. And for those unfamiliar, we should say that uh, the Georgia state legislature and governor are held by the Republican Party. So it's um, they can pretty that would it gives them power to to do what they want if they potentially what they want if they don't like the results. Right. And Georgia, for the first time in November or, or technically January because of runoff elections, um, elected um, a Democratic president and two Democratic senators, which is the first time in decades that that's happened. Yes. So Delta's statement, as Ned said on on Friday, was um, a little tepid, especially compared to CEO Ed Bastian's very forceful condemnation of, uh, forceful support rather of um, gun control legislation in the wake of the Parkland school shooting a few years ago, and um, and also forceful support of the protests for racial justice that occurred here in the states last summer. So it was a little, it was a little, little different in tone. Exactly, and and when the company faced blowback, you know, Ed uh, Bastian released an internal video that uh, Airline Weekly was able to view, 
discussing uh, the comment. And, you know, he basically said, well, you know, they don't agree with the law. They felt that they needed to work behind the scenes to remove some of the uh, worst provisions in the law. And he, he didn't go into examples of what those were. And that the the result is, uh, while not a perfect law, it was uh, something that they were able to achieve by working behind the scenes. And, and people are still pretty unhappy uh, with his statement, it seems. Yeah. And, you know, this is an interesting sort of phenomenon that's kind of happened, not just in the airline industry, but across all industries in the last few years. Um, it used to be, at a, you know, we can all remember a time when CEOs just took care of their company and their industry and commented on their companies and industry. But increasingly, CEOs are being called on and companies are called on to be sort of the moral conscience of the country. Uh, we saw this last summer with the racial justice protests. A whole host of companies from you know retailers to airlines came out in support of those, those protests. Um, similarly with gun control. And then gun control for the, I mean, every for anyone who's listening probably knows, but gun control has been a very intractable issue here in the States, um, very controversial with a lot of the population vehemently opposed to any kind of gun control. But, you know, every time there is a shooting, which is a, a mass shooting event, which is, alas, all too common these days, there are renewed Being calls. in Colorado, it's sad. There are... Yes. Uh, okay. Sorry. Being in Colorado, it, there was recently a shooting at a grocery store in, in Boulder, which is a, a university town near Denver. And the... Uh, the... <laughs> The funeral for a uh, cop that the cop that was shot was today, so it's uh, it's pretty prominent in the news here. Right, right, and the reason we're even getting into this is that you know it's it's a difficult issue and it's a very controversial issue, but yet CEOs and companies are increasingly feeling the need to wade in on this issue, even though they will get some blowback from half the population that is opposes any kind of gun control. So. Um, you know, it, it's just a it's a weird position for CEOs to be in, Ned. Um, it really is. I was actually thinking about this, Madhu. Do you think this has anything to do with, with the Citizen United case that removed caps on uh, corporate donations to politics about a decade ago? Because, I mean, this really is, like you're saying, a rather new phenomenon just in the last couple of years. Yeah, you know, I've heard all sorts of theories, and, and that's one. The other is that uh, the, you know, Decades ago, the government would always step in on sort of and and sort of heal the nation, as it were. The government is increasingly the federal government is increasingly divided and polarized and gridlocked over every small thing. And you know, I think the last Congress was able to pass or just renaming post offices as legislation, right? So, so the, the, we're you were in this place where the government is pol is paralyzed, and it's companies are increasingly just feeling the need to to be the conscience of the country and it's it's very strange um it's new but it really is and you know one of the things that i i wonder and i haven't seen any example is you know after airlines made statements uh, supporting uh, social rights and, and black lives matter last summer I, I don't think there was any shift in bookings there because there was no airline that came out uh, against Black Lives Matter, and and it certainly didn't hamper the recovery in air travel. So, it's it's interesting about these calls for boycotts because I really wonder if they actually result in any changes in in travel patterns when you have essentially three major carriers that four major carriers that 
control 80% of the U.S. market. Right. Well, I believe that uh, both, uh, I believe Delta did get some, see some effect from coming out against, uh, or in, rather coming out in support of gun control legislation. Uh, probably not, they, maybe not. Yeah. Sorry. Go on, Ned. No, they did. I remember covering it. And I, I also recall them saying, and I think the earnings call at most recently after that issue is that it was such a negligible number of bookings that it, it made no, um, yeah, it, it, it was no material impact on their, their bottom line. Interesting. But you have to, I mean, the positive PR could redound to their benefit. I mean, if you think of it, if, if not just airlines, but any company comes in support of with with racial justice, so there was a, a very large majority of the country that was in support at least early on of the, of the the protests, and that just you know the phrase they're on the right side of history. They were on the right side of the polls, right. so that that there must be some some positive benefit, or they wouldn't do it. So it, it certainly feels like Delta on this this issue. While maybe they did what uh, they saw was best, I, I do wonder if they're going to come out on the right side of um, everything. And I'm reserving judgment, but it, it it is a question. Well, this is this this one is different. You know, it's not gun control. It's not uh, racial justice. It's legislation. And you know, Delta can't just go down. Delta, Home Depot, UPS, Coca Cola, all these big Georgia companies can't, and the Metro Atlanta Chamber of Commerce can't just, you know. <laughs> tell tell lawmakers who are duly elected by their citizens what to do. They can sort of try and shape the legislation, but they they're not short of saying, "Well, we're moving our our headquarters to Nashville." I mean, what could what could a company do that that, no. that really is going to you know that's going to affect a legislature? Absolutely, you're right, Madhu. Because I mean, we we don't want a situation where <laughs> corporations are able to to shape legislation. Um, you know, craft legislation that that maybe the citizens don't want. So it is an interesting conundrum. Yeah, it really is. Well, shifting topics a little bit and something I think we're more, we're both happier to talk about. Uh, Ned, Southwest made some news, right? They ordered, yes, they did. Southwest ordered a whole bunch of MAX airplanes. Uh, They ordered 10737 MAX 7s. Uh, finally putting to rest their brief but public flirtation with the Airbus A220, uh, almost certainly to to gain a... I'm hitting pause there. Tell us about that brief flirtation with the A220. (laughs) So it's a... Okay, so the the Southwest officially last October said that they were considering the A220-300 and the 737 MAX 7 for uh, their 150-seat aircraft need for the next, you know, for, for the future. They have, I believe, over 500 737 700s that are going to have to, that are already starting to retire and will retire in the next decade or so. And and, base, and they see a need to replace them. I don't think they're going to replace them all one for one. Some of those will get replaced by larger aircraft, but they want 200, 300, 150 seat planes in mm-hmm. their, their fleet. And, and remember, Southwest doesn't have a regional subsidiary, so that is their smallest plane. Right. They don't have a Southwest Express that can, <laughs> can fly small, uh, thin routes. So they, uh, I think everyone agreed that that flirtation was probably to get discounts from Boeing uh, because Southwest, as everyone knows, is a longtime sole 737 operator and has touted the benefits of having one fleet type mm-hmm. many, many times. Uh, that said, they did say during the max ground that the max ground had materially hurt them. So right. it, 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 there, if they were going to break with Boeing, this was going to be the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And, well, it uh, came out that they did not break with Boeing. Right. They, they ordered 100 more uh, Max 7s. They converted a number of options. I forget the exact number. But now, all in, they have uh, 349 737 Maxes on order, including wow. 200 Max 7s. So it's a massive order book that should take them out through most of the next decade. And wh- when did del- deliveries start of these latest orders? Latest orders start coming relatively soon. I want to say 2023, mm-hmm. but correct me if I am wrong on that. Uh, nope, 2022 is when the first ones are. So next year. Yeah, next so year. this is going to be, you know, going to be arriving pretty quickly. And, and I imagine some of them are, well, no, they're Max 7s, so they're not Whitetails because Boeing has some Whitetails sitting in property, but they haven't been really producing the Max 7 because mm-hmm. Southwest is the only airline with a notable order for them. Uh, so, yeah, this is, I mean, it's... It's pro- I want to say this is a win for Boeing, but really I think it's more of a win for Southwest. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I mean, like we've always said, list prices don't really reflect the price that the airline actually pays. So who knows what kind of discount they got? Well, they actually gave a, gave a hint of the discount oh, in, in okay. their SEC filing. So general reported list price is $100 million for a Max 7. And then mm-hmm. everyone in the industry, industry knows that airlines don't actually pay that. They're uh, Bloomberg reported a appraised value of the Max 7 being around $46 million, $50 million. Mm-hmm. So based on Southwest disclosure, uh, including their pre-deposits, pre-delivery deposits, and other credits, they paid, they're going to pay about $35 million per Max jet oh, wow. for uh, the next few years. So huh. um, that's a sizable discount. Yeah, that is. That is. That's, yeah. wow. <laughs> that is interesting. There we go. So Southwest has a bunch of Maxes coming, and um, and and they ended their flirtation with the A220. I always thought that was a weird flirtation. I mean, when I when we first saw the news report, I think both of us were like, "Huh, nah." Yeah, I mean, it, like I said, I don't think any of us actually suspected the A220 was going to win that that competition. But considering the damage that the Max did, and remember, right. before the crisis in 2019, Southwest shrank. Because they, mm-hmm. they, they didn't have any, they had no aircraft arriving. They had aircraft already going out. You know, they weren't able to do what they wanted. Mm-hmm. So you know, they, they, and I remember Gary Kelly saying they lost some share because they weren't able to grow and capture that. This is pre-COVID. COVID has, of course, changed things. So if, <laughs> while I didn't expect them to go, I definitely, if this was the time that it could happen, this is the time it would have happened. And so, right. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when John Ostrauer, uh, uh, the editor-in-chief at the Air Current, first reported that Southwest sort of kicked the tires on some A220s <laughs> right. in, in 2019. So this has been going on for a while, but they only publicly uh, just said they were considering it last year. So, yeah. Right. So Southwest Southwest passengers will have to wait a little bit longer before getting a, a, a window in the lab, right? Is that what you're telling Just me? Little, <laughs> if ever, frankly, though, maybe the Max 7 has some surprise design details. So, yeah. <laughs> it's always my favorite part of the A220. <laughs> the Have you flown an A220, Madhu? You know, I've not. I've actually been on an Air Baltic A220 at, on a static display at the Dubai Air Show, but I've never actually flown in an Air A220. Oh, well. You clearly need to. Uh, you need to, Madhu. I've checked the A220 box and I checked my 737 Max box uh, yesterday. So coming out to Colorado and well, it was I had a smooth and there. uneventful <laughs> ride. <laughs> I had you beat there. <laughs> nice. Uh, and speaking <laughs> speaking of new aircraft, uh, 
there there was kind of a surprise today with North Atlantic Airways, the new new venture by Bjorn Kios and a v- bunch of other Bjorns in Norway. We just call it the ABBA airline. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Aircap, the soon to be the world's largest lessor, when it acquires completes its thirty billion dollar acquisition of GCAS, um, said it would lease North Atlantic nine. 787s, um, six dash eights and three dash nines, or maybe it's the sure. other way around. Um, I, I don't know. I don't have it at my fingertips. But anyway, nine seven eight sevens, which was you know I, I read that and that was an interesting sort of uh, a vote of confidence in the airline when just last week or two weeks ago, lessors were saying we're probably going to stay away from this one or we're going to evaluate its model pretty closely. Is it a sign of confidence or is it desperation on Aircap's part to place those aircraft? That's a good question because wide body aircraft are not moving. So, no. Um, <laughs> it could be. They uh, and uh, uh, another airway airline in uh, Norway just got rid of a whole bunch of 787s. They did. I can't imagine what airline that was. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I wonder um I I don't I haven't actually seen credible reporting on whether um those 787s that North Atlantic got are um are from Norwegian, but uh you know, uh, you're right. Seven eight sevens are not moving very fast, and someone someone picks them up. But it, it was interesting. You know, I was talking to uh, um, the Airline Pilots Association CEO, uh, or rather, President Joe DePete, uh, said last week when I asked him about uh, North Atlantic whether whether they would oppose North Atlantic in the same way that uh, Alpa opposed Norwegian Air International. He called North Atlantic a Frankenstein's monster of an airline put together by with a bunch of dead parts. So, um, and Scott Kirby, as we know, Scott Kirby, the CEO of United, without naming any any specific carrier, said. Uh, it was the transatlantic long haul low cost was a failed business model that would never make any money. But all these Bjorns seem pretty interested in giving it another go. They do, you know, and it, it, it surprises me because uh, before Bjorn Kios left Norwegian, they weren't doing terribly well. So it's right. uh, it's interesting. But I, I forget who said the quote, but, you know, I, uh, I remember someone saying decades ago that if you wanted to lose money, airlines were a good way to do it. So yep. it looks like there are people out there uh, willing to put money into this model. And I, 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 yes, if you think I'm skeptical about long haul low cost, I am skeptical about long haul low cost because we haven't seen it work yet. No, we haven't. I mean, but- <laughs> we haven't. And, uh, you know, and also there's the fact that North Atlantic doesn't have an air operator certificate yet, an AOC. Exactly. They Nor- said that they, they, they hope to start flights by the end of this year. But even at, uh, at a Pete, Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg was at a, a House hearing uh, last week and he was questioned about North Atlantic. And so mm-hmm. you know, the DOT took three years to pre- pre- approve Norwegian Air International's uh, foreign air carrier permit. I mean, will North Atlantic be any faster? I, I have, well, we'll see. Well, we'll see. I mean, first it has to get an AOC in Norway, right? Yes. Yes. And then, then it can apply. So who knows when that'll happen? And then after that, only after that can it apply for a foreign air carrier um, permit right? with the DOT. And that could take months and months. I mean, December seems like a very, very ambitious timeline since it's already April. 
Um, right. And who launches transatlantic flights in December? Come on, this is that's low season. Uh, if, if you're going to launch a new transatlantic service, I would do it, you know, in the spring going into the summer peak yeah. season. And the wounds of that uh, that fight over NAR, uh, NAR are still pretty fresh. I mean, Congressman uh, Peter DeFazio, the chair of the House Transportation Infrastructure Committee, sent a letter to Pete Buttigieg, the Secretary of Transportation, saying it is, quote, imperative that the DOT not approve North Atlantic's foreign air carrier permit. Um, so this is not going to be a pretty fight. <laughs> it's going to no, be ugly. No. It's going to be months. And um, I would be very, very surprised. I'll eat my hat if that airline is flying to Miami in December. <laughs> well, we shall see, Madhu. We shall see. Um, pick your hat. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I am also doubtful about December, but... <laughs> I will hold Madhu to it if it does happen. <laughs> well, moving along, um, Ned, something else you covered this week was, that was really interesting was um, uh, American bringing its its mothballed jets out of out of out of the desert and back into service. But it's not as you know a lot of the coverage of the, that story was woohoo Americans facing full dem- peak you know ninety percent of of. 2019 demand and things are back to normal. But there's a lot more nuance to that, right? And and a lot of it had to do with labor. Absolutely, absolutely. So in in this statement, American, uh, they said net bookings are at 90, 90% of 2019 levels. Uh, and I'm guessing those are domestic, but they didn't say. And they said most of their fleet would be back by the end of the second quarter, so June. Uh, but when I reached out to the pilots union, uh, they they raised some red flags immediately saying, you know, we have a training backlog already for the existing fleet. And they they really questioned if, if the pilots would be ready, if there would be enough pilots to fly Americans full fleet by the end of June. Hmm. Um, and this is a legitimate concern. We saw, you know, pilot training issues have uh, hampered Delta's operation over mm-hmm. Thanksgiving last right. year. Right. And they had to park some of their A220s you know, because they didn't have enough pilots. And, you know, this may be counterintuitive after the industry has gone through furloughs, even though people have been recalled, as well as voluntary departures. But with with all those changes, airlines have seen their, their pilots shift types from pilot to co-pilot, smaller planes to larger planes, uh, and Every time an incident like that happens, a pilot has to be retrained. So right. it's it's a combination of those retrainings. The furloughed pilots coming back to America are still uh, queued up for training because they they lost their certifications when they left property. So they're they're getting all of those redone, and and yeah. So it's there's a lot of things going on right now. You know, and when I spoke to American, they they emphasized the word most. Hmm. They wouldn't give me a target number. Mm-hmm. Uh, they said most can uh, be flexible, so it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what they're flying by the end of June. Um, that said, they're pretty bullish on, on where demand will be. Right. Well, did the Allied Pilots Association give you a timeline for how long it would take to train all the pilots that have been um, furloughed or took voluntary leaves of absence? They wouldn't nail down a specific timeline. Uh, they they you know said trainings are likely to extend into the summer. Huh. Uh, they didn't say just exactly when. Uh, and of course, there's there's you know, people are coming up for recurrent training. It was, I got an interesting discussion about how American takes an extra day for recurrent training for pilots than most other airlines. And hmm. they're shifting out of that. But the transition period is this year. So really, it won't they, they need these extra. So there's a lot of moving parts in this. And America and they were telling me American simulators are full uh, every month going you know well into the summer. So 
it's it's going to be interesting. Uh, it, would, it, it the irony will be if they can't fly as many planes as they want. This is you know kind of the case that the unions made for payroll assistance last year right. was that you know if people are furloughed, where airlines are not going to be able to bounce back if demand is strong. So we shall see. Uh, it's hard to imagine American leaving money on the table at this mm-hmm. point uh, in the crisis because. Who knows where demand is going to be in June? The U.S. is already talking about a potential fourth wave of COVID infections. So, yeah, there's a lot of moving parts in this. (laughs) And and but America says that it it thinks it'll it'll have 90 percent of demand back by June. They said they're at 90 percent of net bookings Bookings. for this time in 2019. So this and remember, the airlines have removed all their cancellation fees and everything. So. This doesn't mean people are necessarily going to fly. It means right. they're buying their tickets now. Uh, also, I was reading, there's a good report out from Raymond James that even though bookings are looking to be quite strong, they're at a much lower yield than they right. were in 2019 because these right. are mostly leisure travelers. So you know, it's great to see people come back. But remember, airlines can't make, uh, you know, at least the big three aren't going to turn big profits on, on you know, uh, Joe Smith going to visit grandma or, you know, uh, Jane Doe going to Florida to the beach. So, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. we we saw something like this last year, right, with the Phantom bookings in Europe, where there was a massive spike in bookings. Everyone was talking about green shoots, and then those bookings evaporated as as new surges of the virus took hold, or or there were new restrictions put in place. I mean, we're in a different we're in a different space now because vaccinations have have picked up. But June still to me sounds like an awful far long way away to be predicting anything in this this day and age (laughs) i agree no i very much agree i mean you saw european airlines you know getting all bullish about double triple digit you know jumps and bookings a few weeks ago and now you've got parts of europe shutting down right Uh, literally it feels like the the booking curve can change over the course of a week or two so really it's it's i think it's difficult to say what june will look like at this point in time right well, Ned, I want to thank you for joining joining me again. It's your job, but thank you. Happy to be here, Madhu. Always a pleasure. And once again, to all of you listening, you can you can we we really welcome your feedback. Sorry for stumbling over that for a second. You can always reach Ned at er. That's er for Edward Russell at skift.com. You can reach me at mu for Madhu and Krishnan at skift.com. Check out airlineweekly.com. A new issue drops every Monday, and we update the site throughout the week. Thank you, Ned. Thanks, Madhu. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Should you have comments or questions, drop editor Madhu Unikrishnan a note at mu at skiff.com. Of course, check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.